Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, hello, goodbye, goodbye my love, and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul, all of the time. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles, and remember, this is Wide Screen Podcasting. Hope you're all well, folks, and thank you all for downloading the show. Today here, here today, we're going to be continuing our expedition into the audio-visual world of the Paul McCartney videography. Yes, we're going to be discussing some more Paul McCartney music videos. Hooray! Honestly, I can't wait because this is one of my favourite side series here on the show. And I'm sure the same can be said for one or two of you out there also. In our last instalment, we covered the entirety of Wings Back to the Egg TV special, which included everything from getting closer to Goodnight Tonight... That means, folks, we can finally leave the awkward 70s and deal with Paul's music video output in the 80s, the era of the music video and the height of the art form's relevancy and cultural impact. Gone are the days of the shambled wings, is this a promotional clip, is this a video, mentality. And instead, we're going to see a more professional, thought-out promotional film marketing campaign. In theory, anyway. But yeah, today we're going to be covering everything from Wonderful Christmas Time in 1979 to So Bad in 1983. Now, this will also be our first chronological videography episode with a guest. Of course, we had Matt Phillips on to discuss the Egypt Station clips when they first came out. But today, yeah... I'm going to be speaking with the formidable and brilliant Ed Chen from the When They Was Fab podcast, one of the very first Beatles shows I ever discovered all those years ago. Why am I revealing my guest's name now? Before the housekeeping segment? Well, at the time of recording this little intro, I have actually recorded two episodes of my guest Ed Chen's podcast, When They Was Fab, which he co-hosts with Lonnie Pena, who was also on the episodes with me, and I had an absolute blast on their show, folks. I had a really good time. It was my first non-McCartney-specific episode on another Beatles podcast, which was an exciting, if stressful, challenge for me there. I hope I was able to hold my own, as it were. Those episodes will be out in a couple of weeks from now, and I trust that you will all dutifully go out and listen to them and show Ed and Lonnie the classic Paul or Nothing love. Also, just a couple of little disclaimers before we start. Um, Firstly, I just want to apologise for some of the audio quality of the discussion that you're about to hear. This is one of the last episodes recorded with my old MacBook and old microphone, and some of it is just not the best, especially in comparison to my guest audio. Yeah, Yeah, this is all coming from my end, don't worry. And I just wanted to take a second to say that the show is going to sound better than ever now, reasons which I'll discuss in the housekeeping. Secondly, sorry this episode has been a while in coming out, but uh, making those Flowers in the Dirt episodes just took it out of me. They were huge projects. And I had my birthday, of course. I've just booked some time off work now. Yada, yada, yada. Main point is, I've got like five episodes banked. I'm recording another one tonight. 
There's a lot of new Paul or Nothing content on the way. Anyway, before we can get our music video fixed, though, like I say, um, we've got to get through the matter of the housekeeping. Housekeeping! Just one bit of news to start us off. I've just recently made another guest appearance on another podcast. Yes, another podcast, folks. This motherfucker is branching out. And I would really appreciate, I would love it for all of you to go and check it out. And let me know how I did. This time I was kindly invited onto the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews podcast to discuss a rock album rather ridiculously. I've been listening to their show for quite a while now. They covered such a breadth of albums, and yet I knew they'd never done a McCartney rock album, and I jumped on the chance to discuss the 1973 Wings album, Band on the Run. Me, Aaron, and Rockin' Mike discussed the whole album song by song, and I had an absolute blast with the both of them. That's the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews podcast. I'm sure some of you must be aware of it already, but if you're not, go and check them out. It's an amazing music review show, and I am sure they will have reviewed a a couple of albums very close to your heart, and their thoughts on them are always interesting. So yeah, give them the Paul and I think love as well. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Let me know your own McCartney stories. Let me know your own reviews of albums we're going to be looking at. Let me know your thoughts on Off The Ground in particular. I'd love to read out some of your thoughts on the part one of that episode. That's paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. To keep up to date with us every day, follow us on our Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. If that's not enough Paul or Nothing content for you, then you can check out our sister blog, which I occasionally post to, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com for all sorts of stuff that I haven't been quite able to fit into the show, though some of it does eventually go into episode format. So for potentially early access to my inane ramblings, check out paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube, simply by typing in Paul McCartney Podcast or Paul or Nothing. If you want to help out the show in a very free, quick and direct way, please leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you are listening to this show on, or a thumbs up or a like or whatever it may be. It really helps boost the show and give us that visibility in the algorithms and allows more people to join the Paul or Nothing family, which is what it's all about, isn't it? But moving on to those who have committed to help out the show in a more insanely generous manner. Uh, Of course, I want to mention our Patreon page. Patreon is a service whereby you are able to help support independent content creators such as me through a monthly donation. And I've been talking about how I might be spending some of the Patreon money recently on the show, and the results are in, and the, the last couple of months of donations have indeed been spent on a new microphone, a stand, and the pop shield for this very piece of content I am recording now. As I mentioned, the mic quality ain't the best in the interview you're about to hear, but when I heard myself on that ridiculous rock record reviews podcast, again, go check that out, I had a heart attack at how bad the quality sounded on my end, uh, especially when I'm not in control of the edit to make sure all of my stutters are removed. So yeah, hopefully this does sound noticeably better for you all out there, because it's you who bought it. Uh, Yes, your donations don't just go towards the admin fees of hosting the show, and you do sometimes get direct benefits back like this. 
though I'm not going to deny the fact that I am incredibly touched that you all essentially out there bought me a brand new microphone for my birthday, which was incredibly sweet of all of you. So thank you so much for that. Huge, huge shout out and props to our new patron, Stephanie Miller, who is kindly donating $5 a month to the show. Wow. Again, thank you so much for contributing to the lifeblood of this podcast. And the email that told me that you had joined our patrons actually came through on my birthday as well, which was another fantastic little present that morning. So double thanks for that. Also, another quick shout out to my main man, Louis DiLonardo, a regular emailer who has upped his donation from $1 to $3 a month. Louis, you don't have to do it, but of course it's appreciated. Thank you so much. Every little helps, of course. And I just want to read out the other patrons. Thank you to Stuart Cook, Cheryl McCoy, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Anastasia P, Robert Carabelli, and the old guard, the OGs, Tony Bosal, Warren Butson, and my man, Matt Phillips. Yeah, again, thank you all for your dutiful support for this show. Thank you for the mic as well, like I said. Uh, and folks, if you want to join them, if you think that this show is worth a couple of dollars a month, if you've enjoyed the hundreds of hours of free and ad-free content that I've been making for you, then consider joining our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash Pod. Of course, times are very uh, strange and difficult right now, but if you do have a couple of dollars to spare and you've been enjoying the show and you want to see it grow as well, then hey... I'd, I'd, of course, I'd appreciate that. Go check out our Patreon page. Anyway, now that we've got that out of the way, I think it's high time that I brought out my guest, especially since many of these music videos are simply too good to be covered by one man alone. Let's cut to the live feed, everyone. Three, two, one. My guest today, folks, is another true titan who I've been meaning to have on this show for God knows how long now, one of the real OGs of the Beatle podcast community. His show, When They Were Fab, Electric Arguments with the Beatles, which he co-hosts with Lonnie Pena, has been a mainstay of my feed ever since I started this podcast and had to scope out the competition, as it were. And since then, I've genuinely been in awe as to how much he can cram into one episode, both in terms of information and clips. I've recently been enjoying his most recent episode with a friend of the show, Paul Sally, where they injured, where they discuss the Wings docufilm One Hand Clapping, which only makes me feel like he's the perfect chap to have on for this particular episode. Like I say, I've been meaning to have him on for years. I've been talking about having him on for months, but I kept cocking it up. So now that I've pulled my finger out and that Venus and Mars are in perfect alignment, everyone, please welcome to the show the man who dubbed Kit O'Toole the Queen of Beatles Media. It's Ed Chen. Ed, what's going on, my friend? Hey, thanks for having me. It's good uh, good to be on. Yeah, no, uh, video is a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? There is so much for us to cover. I mean, this is only going to be a thin slice of McCartney's videography, but it's one of these topics that never seems to get more and more interesting as I go through it, especially with the more obscure ones. Ed, I always like to start these interviews off with the most British question ever. Where are you calling from, and what's the weather like? Well, uh, well, calling, uh, virtually calling. Uh, we're our show is located out of uh, Houston, Texas. The weather is just about uh, upper nineties today. 
Now, another tradition we have on here, I like to gauge my guests, get a little baseline of their overall Beatle fandom. I'm going to hit you with some quick-fire questions. Your answers don't need to be quick-fire themselves, but you know, it's going to be the first thing that comes to your head. If you're ready. All right. Top of your head, favorite Beatles album? Abbey Road. Most underrated Beatles song? No Reply. Ooh, I like that answer. We've had a lot of Beatles for sale love on this show at the moment. That's made me very happy indeed. Most overrated Beatles song? Hey Jude, but I, that's only because it's been played so much. Overrated and overplayed does have a, a big overlap on the old Venn diagram, definitely. For me, it'll probably be like Let It Be has that overplayed quality as well. Yeah, I think if I were to not listen to it or have, not have it come up on the Beatles channel for a week, then I'd feel differently. You never know what you have until it's gone, you know. What is the best post-Beatles album? Ooh, that's tough. Tug of War? Oh. I'll go with McCartney. Although, again, that changes frequently. You know, uh, I, I love Cloud Nine. I love Brainwashed. I love Ringo. Uh, and then on the Lennon side, Double Fantasy is, is really, to me, a great album. So it could be any one of those at any minute. All of those are incredibly strong answers. I, I, honestly, though, I've never... You know, I, I host a podcast and I've never dived into solo Ringo. I've heard, you know, the greatest hits. I'm, I'm just too timid. I'm just too scared. You know, I don't want my image of Ringo being, being sullied. But from what I've heard from, from everyone, there is, you know, they're always enjoyable. Skip the mid-70s, you know, when Ringo was, uh, well, deep in the bottle. But uh, <laughs> either the early 70s or kind of the post-90s stuff, you'll find lots of good and interesting things. I wonder if we'll get another Ringo answer here. What is the best post-Beatles song? Hmm. That's not one I've ever actually thought about. Uh, it's not Imagine for the same reason Hey Jude was overrated. Oh, thank, um, thank God, thank God. Let's go with Band on the Run. I don't think we've had that answer before. I like that one. Band on the Run. It, it, it's one of those classics where it's like, it's a classic for a reason, you know. Everyone likes it. There is not anyone who's got a bad thing to, to, to say about it. Um, it's, it's got that sort of, you know, Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey, medley sort of quality, but it's not auspiciously so it's not in your face medley no you're right um i just wish the middle rocky segment was just a, a, a another couple of bars longer you know yeah but anyway it, it the, leads yeah that, that's certainly among the among the top and again you know that that could change at a moment's notice i love just like starting over i love my sweet lord even though it is he's so fine and then even, you know, Photograph. Photograph is a great tune that at times is my favorite solo Beatles song of the moment. Did Ringo write that one as well? Uh, co-wrote it with George. Co-wrote it with George, as all of the best Ringo songs are, I guess. And finally, out of the original five, what's your favorite Beatles movie? Hard Day's Night, easily. I love the confidence in that answer. I love Help, but... You know, help is just a little too madcap and a little bit, little bit too much of the time. It's not going to be Magical Mystery Tour. Yellow Submarine is a great film, but it lives in that weird, otherworldly space. 
And then let it be, you just have to be in the mood for, hopefully that'll change next year when we get the Peter Jackson version. But, you know, sometimes it's great and the rooftop is always great, but other times it's just depressing. I think that's why it's my favorite, though. You know, because the, the Beatles is all about peace and love and happiness, and then their last one, of, one of their last major products is just this massive downer. And I guess in a, I like it in a kind of Schadenfreude way rather than like as an actual piece of art. But well, that and the fact that Michael Lindsay Hogg just was not a great director. Oh, okay. You'd actually go so so far to say that then. Yeah, I mean it's it's okay, but he you know. Uh, Peter Jackson putting together the footage is going to both look and feel much better than the original ever possibly could have. I think it might have been better had we gotten the the first cut, the 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 one that's you know forty five minutes or so longer than the final film. But you know we can't say that. Yeah, and we still don't really know what all of those cut scenes were, except for the blanket statement of it was lots of John and Yoko stuff. Um, I guess, like, the real problem with Lindsay Hogg's direction is that he doesn't actually bother to let you know what's going on. Like, rather, uh, we pointed out when, when, when we covered it just, Billy Preston just appears. Oh, hello. You know, wouldn't it be nice to be int- introduced to this man for two seconds before we, you know, leap, leap into the jams? You know, it is a little all, all over the place in that sense. There is no narrative to it. But a lot of that's down to the Beatles themselves, like, changing the the story almost every every day you know is it a tv concert film or are we, we going to film this on mount everest every day it's changing so it's kind of like you know he made the best with what he could do i guess i guess i mean you know he he, he knew what he was doing on the rain and paperback writer videos but as far as a feature he just seemed a little bit overmatched yeah, and as we know and we'll probably touch on this later today mccartney's got a, a bit of a bad habit of you know, giving people you know, a, a shot, as it as it were. You know, yeah, this, yeah, this guy seems cool. You know, we'll let him, we'll let him direct, direct a film. Right. Yeah, we, we we mentioned that in that one hand clapping show that Paul frequently does that. Surprisingly, not with the music videos we're going to be talking about today. But I mean, you know, one hand clapping. He picked a director that had never done any kind of directing, uh, and then there's Broad Street. You thought no he, comment. He probably would have learned from Magical Mystery Tour. Paul, just get people who make movies to make the movies, and you write the songs, son. You know. Now, something you mentioned off air that I found incredibly interesting, Ed, was uh, obviously we're discussing Paul McCartney music videos today, and I was wondering if you could explain to my audience your previous association with the collection and proliferation of Paul McCartney music videos. So, you know, back in the day, you know, back in the day, we're talking about like 20, 25 years ago, the early days of the internet, you were all of what, four or five years old at the time? Maybe two. (laughs) Uh, So before there were, before there was Facebook, before there was MySpace, before there was even Amazon, there was this, uh, the way that we interacted with each other through the uh, internet was this thing called Usenet. Definitely heard of that before, yeah. I've definitely seen that in films, anachronistically at least. Yeah, so so the way Usenet worked was uh, you were putting up text messages, and you know text messages were only ever at most a couple of K to, to maybe a megabyte or two. And so all of the machines across the world would connect to a central server, and uh, you know much like peer-to-peer sharing these days, 
what it would pull, it would see what was new, and then the messages would come in. And so, mm-hmm. so you would read, you know, anywhere in the world you would get someone's response or someone's new message within, let's say, 10 minutes or so. And, and so the, out of Usenet, there were a bunch of interest groups, uh, sort of what might be referred to as subreddits these days, if you're on, on the Reddit side. Oh, I love Reddit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Beatles group was called uh, rec.music.beatles. Mm-hmm. And there was also a moderated version because, again, just like you get with uh, Facebook groups, you got you, even then you had people trolling, <laughs> trying to uh, do evil and nasty things. But as part of the moderation, myself and uh, a number of other people wrote these these facts just so you know you come into the group you have some baseline of knowledge to be able to look into things and so how many of the music videos and like wider mccartney media or even beatles media was available on the internet back then did you have to scour it and or do you have to like find old film prints and scan it through like how did it work well almost well none of the actual content was available on the video then uh, was available on the internet then this was even before there was a good way to play video on or you know play reasonable looking video on your computer the most you could get was like 64 uh, a little 64 by 64 wow. square recently we were talking about in one of the groups uh, it was such a big deal that criterion put out a cd rom which had a 256 by 256 version of a hard day's night which flipped pages of the script as the movie played it's like ooh, <laughs> that's nice and niche i love that so that was that was through you know that was through the 90s anyway so the the deal was that we wanted people to have a common set of knowledge when coming in you know just because you don't want people asking the same questions over and over again again you make an analogy to to the facebook groups everyone is going to put up those stupid john lennon memes which are things that he never actually said oh i want to be happy oh the oh the schoolyard comment and the, like, the kindergarten one yeah life's what's happening when you're busy making other plans you know i never said that either so, you know, we, we had, if you go and look, uh, and the archives are still around, if you just go and search for them a little bit, there was, there was an archive on sort of the alternate mixes that were available, which is still a really good archive. Joseph Brennan wrote a collection on the musicology of the Beatles, and that still holds up. And uh, my end of things at the time was a series of two lo- fairly long FAQs, which summarized both the the Beatles video and then the solo video. Wow. Both in terms of what was available on, at that time it was uh, VHS just going into DVD uh, and and just what had been released. Obviously the McCartney years hadn't come out by this point. So how how were these videos collated then? Would it just be a a video of solo mccartney from say 82 to 87 like how's it packaged well it it wasn't packaged i mean you know if if you look if you go and you look at the the faq it, it tells you what had been released legitimately on vhs but you know i was also summarizing the videos which i had spent years and years just you know collecting the what we did at the time we just sort of traded vhs tapes with each other 
You know, it's like, oh, I've got these 10 videos. I can make you a copy of them, and, and you've got these 10 other videos. Oh, this sounds like such a better time to be a fan than now. It's, it's so analog and black. And no, black no, no, absolutely not. You know, it's, it, was, it may have been more fun, but as far as both being able to see the material and see the material in the best possible quality, it is much nicer to just be able to go on YouTube and, oh, okay, yeah, I, I want to see version two of the uh, wonderful Christmas time video, and there it is. Yeah, I mean, were there any white whales that you were after? Was there a, a, a Holy Grail video that you just couldn't find or anything? I, that I don't remember, to be honest with you. I'm sure there was. Maybe like you know, a secret seventh version of the Mull of Kintyre video or something, I don't know. The one that I remember being particularly happy about finally seeing was uh, uh, was some of the the Flip Wilson uh, McCartney videos from uh, Wildlife. Flip Wilson was was an uh, was a variety show which aired on network TV, and he played a couple of uh, McCartney videos. And the I don't remember which ones off the top of my head. They're, they they're in they are in the box, but. I had the videos, but I never actually had the introduction because he actually spoke with Paul and Linda in the introduction. And when I finally got that, that was really cool. I think just having any media to do with wildlife prior to that huge box set coming out would be in highly valuable anyway. Yeah, you know, it, that was also the first time I ever saw those ridiculous green screen. Mary had a little lamb. It's like, <laughs> well, okay, Paul. And thankfully, his mastery of video would improve dramatically through the years. And really, uh, you know, what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to be talking about the, the early 80s, which was really as MTV was coming up. And McCartney was at the top of his game as far as promotional videos, I think. Well, speaking of the dawn of MTV, let's expand the scope to the entire Fab Four. Like, would you agree that George Harrison had the best videography? Uh, probably not Ringo. Paul wins by virtue of quantity. Mm -hmm. George's quality per video is probably better. And, and I like the weird videos. You know, I like the alternate version of Got My Mind Set on You, the arcade version, much better than I like the one everybody else mm -hmm. likes, the, the room version. I've only just seen the video to uh, Crackerbox, uh, Crackerbox Palace and this song. Crackerbox Palace, yeah. Oh my god! Like obviously he's he's got his hand in the pockets of handmade films, so he's got, he's got a lot of access to actors and celebs and an actual film crew. But Harrison's videos are exactly what a music video should be. They actually advertise the song to me. Whenever I watch a George Harrison music video, I'm like, I definitely have to like obviously not buy it, but I've definitely got to go and stream that for free they make you want to listen to the song again and that's what is so powerful about them to me and we're going to see that a lot with mccartney's videography as well but not to the same extent so i think you are right harrison's got that much higher quality success rate yeah it's just that paul's done so many more videos you know even you bring it to the present day the dancing videos that he put on put out for uh, what come on to me <laughs> those were actually really pretty cool the fact that there was three of them was really cool as well, and that you could vote for which one was your favorite and stuff on Twitter. You know, he's definitely 
pushing forward into the 21st century with this kind of this kind of media and he's still on on the top of his game like the who cares music video is fantastic yeah no absolutely and you know like you say, he he produces good and interesting videos, but I mean, since the profile of video these days is so much lower, uh, again, uh, also some of them are just kind of average. You, you look at the 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 two videos which uh, just came out uh, for the Flaming Pie set. You know, Young Boy and World Tonight. It's like okay, they're cute, but they're, there's nothing special about them. It's funny you should mention that, because McCartney was there at the start of the music video, and he's here past the death of the music video, essentially. So he's been there for the entirety of it as an art form. Oh, absolutely. And, and then, you know, again, going past the, the specter of the era we're looking at, uh, you look at something like the Brown-Eyed Handsome Man video. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. So... The one I'm most looking forward to covering is Appreciate with the robot. Oh, mm. that's, that's peak weird McCartney. As long as the video's weird, that's all I need, you know? Yeah, he's, he's very good at that. Let's get on to our first video, Ed. We're going to start off incredibly strong here with the last music video of the 70s and the last on-screen appearance of the last version of Wings. This is Wonderful Christmas Time. It's a Wings video for a Paul McCartney song. It's so str- like, what do you think the conversation was? Like, look, lads, um, I know you're not actually going to benefit from this music video being successful or not, but uh, I'll sack you if you don't appear in it, so get on set. And, yeah, I have no clue what was going on now. I mean, Wings was in kind of a uh, limbo at the time. I mean, you know, Lawrence Schubert and Denny Lane both stuck around through the tug of war sessions. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, both of them were around. Maybe they thought that, let's see, what the it came out more or less simultaneously with the single or was the single already out when the, you know, maybe they didn't know. I mean, the fact that there's a version of Coming Up Wings Live that released during the McCartney 2 era does show that the death of Wings was not this clear-cut finale that the Beatles had. And the fact that Paul really hasn't commented on it only makes it worse, really. Yeah, the, you know, the legend which is sort of built up around it that, okay, you know, after the Japan pot bust, Linda wanted to to stay at home, and Paul had had enough of Wings, and George Martin told him that uh, you don't need a band. That is, while not patently false, it's at least not quite the truth. It's oversimplified, sure. 
because I think the the idea that Paul was like really bored with Wings isn't true. I think it's just he was a bit he was a bit upset that Back to the Egg didn't do very well. And Paul really wears his heart on his sleeves. Like, you know, I've been reading all of the interviews around Give My Regards to Broad Street lately. Like, Paul is a, a shockingly sensitive man when it comes to criticism. And it, it could have been the straw that broke the camel's back. But perhaps if, you know, if George Martin hadn't have said something like that, or maybe if Tug of War had just been its own separate thing, he could have gotten back with Wings. He'd already done McCartney 2 on his own. But... Case or you know, whatever will be, will be. I don't know if you've got these in the States, dude, but every year here in the UK in December, we get these reliably awful uh, top 50 music videos. We, we have something comparable, yes. And they're always on in the background on Christmas Day. And because of that, this is probably the second Paul McCartney music video I ever saw. I mean, before we go into the video itself, I've got to ask you the million dollar question. Where do you stand with Wonderful Christmas Time as a song? Are you a lover or a hater? Uh, neither. Uh, I like it more than most people do, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the backing, the, the weird sense is actually really pretty cool. You know, the, the children's choir gets to be a little bit sickly sweet, but the, the live versions I actually kind of like. Oh, when I saw him perform it a couple of years ago, I'm not ashamed to admit that I was crying my eyes out because I've been going through all the set lists going like, oh, let's see what he's going to play tonight. Wonderful Christmas Time was not on any of the previous set lists. And he comes out and there's glitter and tinsel falling from the ceiling. And he's got a children's choir out there, you know, in the same way that I thought I'd be quite cynical and stone hearted at Blackbird and Hey Jude. Those songs made me cry as well. So... But, yeah, it's actually a, a much more interesting song than people give it credit for. It's nothing great. It's not an earth-shattering, brilliant song. But, you know, compare it to Happy Christmas. I like Happy Christmas as well, even if it is just a remake of uh, Stewball. <laughs> I've always liked both of them. No matter where I work, if I have access to the work playlist or radio, I will always sneakily add Wonderful Christmas Time and Happy Christmas War is Over to said playlist. I've been in trouble for it a couple of times now. Although I, I, was, uh, I was listening to Nothing Is Real, another fantastic podcast that's just come out recently, and they were talking about how if you strip away the Christmas lyrics and the, and the children's choir and you just have... And the sleigh bells. Yeah, and just have that... It is a really just interesting McCartney 2 era song. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of what I was referring to there. You know, we are, we are recording this in the middle of summer, Ed. Does this video put you in the festive feeling at all? Not really. I mean, the, <laughs> the, reference, the, the Christmas references are much more British Christmas references than, than things that we actually do here in the States. Okay, please expand on that. I find this really interesting. Go on. You know, like, like the paper hats and the, the little, uh, what is it, the pull toy thing? Oh, the crackers. The crackers, yeah. You don't have and crackers in America. No, we don't do that. And, and, and even the, <laughs> what? The, 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 the satsumas, the, the nectarines, the, don't they make an appearance in there somewhere? Yes. Um, oh, so, sorry, Ed. I might, I might have to take 10 minutes off just to realize that you don't have crackers in the States. That is it's probably the biggest revelation of this show, if I'm honest. Probably more so than finding out that you dubbed Kitto Tool the Queen, if I'm honest. 
I mean, I, I learned about it for the longest time. I didn't really even get all that stuff. It's, it's through Doctor Who Christmas specials. It's like, oh, that's what that's a reference to. <laughs> I've never understood this, but there is such a huge, at least on Twitter and in my fan base, who I go through meticulously, the Venn diagram crossover between Paul McCartney fans and Doctor Who fans is very present, and it, it has to—it has to be something to do with a love of high-quality, lame British stuff, you know. Something, something like that. Well, that and the fact that they're—they both originated in the same era. Yeah, it's, it, but they are very innocent products, you know. You definitely wouldn't see the first couple of Doctors running away from those angel statues that terrified me a few years ago. No, no, not at all. <laughs> this was uh, directed by Russell McCauley, or McCauley, who later directed the video for Video Killed the Radio Star, which was the first ever official video on MTV. So you are right. McCartney's not doing the whole, oh, let's just give this to some nobody. You know, they are actually giving this a bit of you know quality. This is all shot at the Fountain Inn in Ashurst, West Sussex, not too far from Paul's home. And the first thing that, that sprung to my mind with this video was the pub sing-along segment in the James Paul McCartney TV special. Very, very similar. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you there. And and the kids are in in that uh, in the Wonderful Christmas Time clip too, aren't they? Paul's kids. Yes, um, when when they're all around the big bonfire at the end in that Mull of Kintyre fashion. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and I think he's really sort of just trying to generate that family. Uh, He's calling back to his own uh, Christmases that he spent at home when when the family was around the piano. So going to the pub on Christmas Day is quite the British tradition. Is going to pubs aren't particularly a thing in the states. Is going to a bar on Christmas Day a, a tradition at all? Uh, maybe sort of later in the day, uh, you do, you kind of do family time in the morning. Then in the afternoon, you, you might wander off and, uh, uh, you know, when, when sports sort of takes over later in the afternoon, you might, you, you, you and selected members of the family might <laughs> run off and, uh, it, while the kids are busy sort of just playing, it's like, okay, we're, we're going to go and <laughs> hang out and have some adult beverages and, and watch some sports for the next couple hours. We also get a few shots in this video of them cutting to live footage of them playing the song on stage. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's from the Glasgow concert, I believe. I believe so. Yeah. No, the, before we leave wonderful Christmas time, the, the new version of the clip looks really good. Uh, yes. The one that yeah. came out last year. It looks beautiful. I mean, some of the special effects, might look a little more dated. Like, if you ever watched the Blu-ray version of Signs, the M. Night Shyamalan film with uh, Mel, Mel Gibson, when they updated that to Blu-ray, uh, the aliens that were meant to be kind of obscured in the background are now in, like, HD glory, and that kind of thing is brought to the forefront of the wonderful Christmas time video where a lot of the effects, you know, with those like, those people in the stars that kiss for some reason. Um, not sure. Yeah, it, it, it's just a little bit, a little bit not quite right. And that's one thing that we're going to see throughout these videos that we're looking at today. You know, they they were made to be seen on a standard definition television. And, and <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. even when just transferred to DVD, it's like, okay, well, I, I have to give them, give them the benefit of the doubt there. Uh, I kind of wish that wherever possible, Paul would 
would have gone back to, instead of using a print uh, or, you know, just transferring the video, gone back to the original elements because he didn't do that for any of these videos. Well, I mean, if, if, if HBO is willing to spend $56 million on allowing Zack Snyder to redo the, that terrible Justice League movie, I think Paul McCartney can cough up a bit of that four bill to improve the wonderful Christmas time video. But, you know, we got a music video for Here Comes the Sun quite recently. Yeah. It, it reused footage from the something video. And I'm like, oh, come on. You're, the, you're Apple. Can you splash a bit of cash, please? I'm already paying hundreds of quid for each box set. Come on. In second place, we're going to move on to Macca's first music video of the 1980s and his first to specifically promote a solo McCartney record since 71. This is Coming Up. accomplishment in music video it you know it is absolutely amazing this video it, weirdly enough has a uh, a very strange release schedule it was premiered in the uk on itv uh, channel three over here on the kenny everett video show on the 14th of march 1980 then in the u.s on saturday night live uh, on the 17th yep. of may in 1980 and i'm not sure if you've seen this footage i scoured the internet for this and you'd be the right man to ask ed Apparently, it was preceded by a little SNL skit where the interviewer gets his times mixed up, and he was meant to see Paul at 5 p.m., but he turns up at his house at 5 a.m. Oh, okay. Let, let, me, let me go into that just a little bit. So, uh, 1980, we're talking about Iran, uh, you know, the Iran hostage situation, right? You know, that was, that was right. the global news at the time. So, SNL turned that into... McCartney in jail in Japan. So for so for three consecutive <laughs> weeks, they did the these breathless sort of you know equivalent of the hostage situation updates to to how McCartney was being treated in the Japanese jail and, and so on <laughs> and so forth. Oh, it's so nice to hear that SNL's doing something funny for a change. So their their correspondent who was chasing Paul around all this time uh, was. Uh, Father Guido Sarducci, a, a character you may or may not have seen or heard of, he, he was he was a fairly he was a writer on SNL at the time, and uh, you know fairly regular, actually in appearing on the show. You know he, he he did this sort of exaggerated accent, and then he uh, 
would talk, uh, and he would be in, in the full priest getup with the collar and with the long robe. What sort of alumni are on SNL at this point? What sort of era are we talking? This is still the very first era of SNL. Uh, you know, this is the Jane Curtin and John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd version of Saturday Night Live. Oh, so this is th- these are the real OGs where it started. These are the real OGs that we're talking about. Chevy Chase had left, and, and actually I think Belushi had left by the 1980 season, but uh, it, this was the last year of the original SNL crew so so anyway one of the very last things they did was uh they father guido sarducci was going to get an exclusive interview with paul in japanese prison he was going to do this by going into (laughs) japan carrying a suitcase full of pot (laughs) oh man okay i'm annoyed at how much i'm laughing at snl skits here i feel like i'm betraying my country so anyway, so, so after, after that, they, they went through that whole experience. Then, then a couple of weeks later, he finds his way to England. And, and as you note, uh, he interviews Paul. You know, I don't think Paul was actually in England. He, they may have been, but it, it was probably pre-taped if I really had to guess. So for the, for the, through the first half of the show, it's like, well, I'm standing out in front of Paul McCartney's house, you know, we're, we're supposed to have an interview and, and, and all the lights are out. And, and so and, and finally, before they get to the end of the show, he goes and he throws rocks up at, at the window. Love it. And, I mean, so does he actually get Paul to come out and question him on pot or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. He, he gets he, Paul and Linda come out. You know, again, of course, all this was set up. You know, it's it's not actual, but uh, yeah, Paul, Paul and Linda come out, both of them wearing bathrobes, and it's like, you, you know, he, well, well, can we do this tomorrow? And he says, no, no, we can't. We're on live television right now. And it's like, okay. <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, he, uh, he asks a couple questions about pot, and then Paul is like, no, it, it was made clear that I'm only going to talk about the clip and so, so, so he sits there and thinks about it for a little bit, and it's like, well, okay, Paul, you know, there's a lot of dancing in this clip, and he sort of goes, yeah. Do you think the dancing would have been easier or harder if you were still getting stoned? <laughs> I'd love to think that that wasn't set up, but it's nice to think that Paul does have a sense of humor about all of this, you know? Uh, yep, and, and then the very end of it was... Uh, much like our chat began at the beginning here, it's like, uh, well, if you could be any animal, what animal would you want to be? And, and Paul answers, a, a koala bear. And, and uh, then, then Guido Sarducci turns to the camera and goes, you hear that, everybody? He wants to be a koala bear. You know, those little animals that climb, uh, climb the trees and eat eucalyptus and are stoned all the time. <laughs> man is that is that's got to be some sort of reference to mega mccartney fans oh it seems that that's an ode to a koala bear perhaps possibly i, I don't know I, the, the, we hadn't i don't know if we'd known about the song at the time i mean of course the i actually saw that clip you know i was fairly young but my sister was an snl watcher and, and and while I wasn't quite heavily into Beatles fandom then, it was enough that's like, oh okay, this Paul McCartney is going to be on there tonight, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stay up and watch it. So I actually saw it the first time it aired. Right. 
real question here. I'm going to raise the stakes. Is this the best solo Paul McCartney video ever? Yes. I will, I will say that. I think I agree. I think I do. I mean, I, I'm not sure what I can say that already hasn't been said before, but there's just so much visual splendor from start to finish. Like, it all goes back to um, a Buster Keaton 1921 film called The Playhouse, where Buster Keaton plays every member of the band, and Paul puts his own twist on that. And for people like me, Ed, who constantly overthink things and read too much into stuff, this is this is brilliant content. Like, it, there is so much for me to go, right, who's that guy? Who's that guy? Who is Paul Bl What's that a reference to? And the list of people who he could be is, is so long. I mean... Although I think we, we figured out most of them. The drummer is just kind of an anonymous drummer. You know, people want to make him Ginger Baker or, you know, whoever. John Bonham or Ginger Baker have a big beard at that time, though? I don't think they did. No, but, but they, at one point or another, they did both have the beard without the mustache. Okay, that's interesting. Linda is kind of playing herself, I guess. Well, there's, 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 she's, there's three of her, uh, two, two girl backup singers, and, uh, and one who, who's, in, who's in drag, again, kind of reminiscent of Gotta Sing, Gotta Dance. Yes. Um, I mean, I mentioned this to a Kit O'Toole on the last episode, but when uh, Linda is in that kind of androgynous get-up for the ballroom dancing sequence in Give My Regards to Broad Street, I, she just looks so sexy. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but before, before, before we leave that thought, Broad Street, you know, Linda on horseback, oh my, you know, angelic Linda. That's, that's what does it for me in Broad Street. Ah, uh, you know, like how you always read about how like Julie Newmar awakened so many sexual sides of young men during the sixties mm -hmm. with the, with with the Batman show. Write in if Linda McCartney awakened your sexual side at PaulMcCartneyPod at gmail dot com. We'll gladly read it out. The drummer's bass drum is adorned with the words "The Plastic Max," which is obviously an amalgamation of the Dirty Max and the Plastic Ono band. Do you uh, believe that? I don't necessarily believe that. I I think it may have been a, a sly reference to it, but I I don't think he was actually calling back to Plastic Ono band. Also, Mac, you know, that's Macca and Rubber Soul, Plastic Soul. That there are many interpretations of what it could be. You know, true. Then we have one. With we have one of the guitarists. It could either be the Shadows, Hank Marvin, or Buddy Holly. It's not Buddy Holly. It is, it is Hank Marvin. Has that has that been confirmed? That's, that's been confirmed. Yeah. I haven't seen the bonus features on the um, on the McCartney DVD where he does his commentary for all for all of this stuff. So, it, is it all confirmed on there? Uh, you know, a, a lot of it is confirmed on there. Yeah. We've got possibly Dave Gilmore as another one of the guitarists. But then there's that big guy with the hairdo uh, that just reminds me of the Plastic Ono band live in New York. With, you know, like Elephant's Dream with that huge... Memory. Elephant's well. Memory. <gasps> what, what did I call it? Oh, my gosh. Did I call it Elephant's Dream? Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Eleanor's Elephant Dream. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. We see Sparks Ron Nail as the mustachioed, eyebrow-raised keyboard player. We get Andy McKay from Roxy Music on the sax. 
Then other names that are thrown about, apparently some people reckon Frank Zappa's in this video or Mick Fleetwood or Neil Young. Again, I, I don't believe any of those. I think he was kind of going for people that are slightly more obscure, which is, again, why I never really believed the Buddy Holly thing. That was only ever, okay, it's, it's a guy with horn rim glasses. I mean, if he'd been released a, f- a few years later, I'm sure people would have been saying it's Elvis Costello, you know? Yeah, that's true as well. So, Finally, we also have Paul brandishing his... Uh, classic Hofner violin bass. You know, speaking of Elvis Costello, you know, oh, I got Paul to use the Hofner bass again. Ah, sorry, Elvis, he's using it here in in 1980. So, it's, it's although he didn't actually play it on the record, and and if you look at it, it, it was still in pretty bad shape at that point. That was before he'd actually gone and had it fixed up. It's definitely got the the old Beatles set list still crudely sellotaped to, 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 to the side. I think, I think you actually can see that at one point. Yeah, I think you can, um, but, but, but like I say, my guess is that the Hofner probably was not much playable at that point, and he just sort of bought it out for the video. At least he does the classic 1964 head shake, though. <laughs> there you go. Paul himself says that a lot of the roles were just simply for comic relief, um, and I guess... Any, any, you know, going too too deep into this is kind of a little, a little bit fruitless. But yeah, again, like I said earlier, there's not a lot I can say about this that hasn't already said. Every second of this video is, it just exudes so much fun. Like it's like, so many times when you hear like, oh, they had a lot of fun on set. Normally that translates to a bad film or a bad music video. Whereas here it's just, you know, you you you, you can tell that Paul he's. He's working with Keith, one of his mainstays at this point. Keith Co., as they call, as he called the company. Keith Co. And we're going to see a technique that we're going to see in a music video coming up. The idea of splitting Paul and putting him all over these places. Technically, the video still looks flawless today. You know, there's no seams around any of the characters. There's no clear cut lines or, 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 or anything. It, it still works. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the one downside is that Paul got it into his head that he can show himself playing all the instruments all the time. You know, he overused that uh, for probably the next decade. Oh, you know, it's pretty cool. I mean, what's better than one Paul McCartney, you know, two Paul McCartneys? That's definitely his thing. Or eight. Or 50, yeah, and and, and three Lindas for us to share. Next up, we're going to come to a music video that... I'm not sure I'd actually ever seen, if I'm completely honest, Ed, before I did the research for this podcast. This is Waterfalls. And I need love, yeah, I need love, like a second needs an hour, like a raindrop needs a shower.
I know that, you know, this is a, a little softer, more delicate uh, release than the last two tracks. I get that. But why did Paul need to make himself look like the most uncool, unhip person on the planet in this music video? Yeah, the, the, that sweater vest he's wearing. Is like... <laughs> it's, not, it's not the sweater vest from Magical Mystery Tour, is it, you know? I don't know how to describe this. Like, I mean, with a little look, I thought it was going to be the most cringeworthy, uncool display from McCartney ever. But for some reason, he chooses, after making himself look so youthful and vibrant in coming up, to swap to this doe-eyed, soppy dork. And it's so unappealing and... He looks like Eric Idle when Eric Idle appeared on David Letterman back in 83. Kind, kind of. Kind yeah. of. It's very much the, the Dirk McQuickly thing. <laughs> Although, you know, there are a couple of, of fun little bits in there. I, I kind of like uh, the I kind of like the polar bear, and that was an actual polar bear. You know, that was not green screen. He, 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 was, he filmed that in an airport hangar, and they brought in an actual polar bear named Olaf. <sighs> I would hate to be Paul McCartney's financier during any of these music videos. This wasn't, to be honest, I didn't think I was going to bring this up this early, but the idea that Paul, for even the cheap videos, somehow manages to find a way to spend a lot of money. I didn't know that. That is, that is an incredible fact. That, that, that is a real polar bear. And it is a shame because the area that Paul walks through on the floor, it's literally just white paint on the floor and some white felt that someone's thrown over a banana crate or something. Um, and then, then, then all the snow is polystyrene. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it doesn't match the, the spending of getting a, you know, the largest land predator mammal on Earth and getting it to an airport. And then, and then you've got these weird Aurora Borealis-esque flashing color sequences that just look terrible and of age worse than Harrison's love of the slide guitar. Although, although Paul hanging out in front of that fountain, we were talking about friends earlier. <laughs> I, I half expected him to jump in and start dancing around. And pop up some umbrellas and go, yeah. Definitely. Exactly. <laughs> this just looks cheap to me. It's Paul walking around getting on a carousel for some reason. Um, I mean... Uh, it's, it's very reminiscent of kind of the, the 70s videos. I mean, we were talking about the Mary Had a Little Lamb video. It kind of reminds me of that. It's definitely got an, an element where Paul's trying to appeal to a market that's not specifically me. I get that. And, you know, he's trying to be much more of, of, a, of a broad appealing artist. But it just does nothing for his image and it's two steps forward, one step back every single time. And we even begin, like I noticed this in Broad Street, you know, it says written by Paul McCartney and it's him <laughs> writing a note in the back of his car. Here, we begin with him sat at the piano, almost like, you know, this video is a visualization of the songwriting process or something like that. And in the way that Give My Regards to Broad Street makes Paul McCartney's dreams look like the most boring thing ever, this video makes him writing a song seem internally dull. Like, for me, this is the start of what I like to call his muddle age, where, you know, all the, way, all the right way up to the anthology project, he is just not going to dress right. He's not going to have the right hair. And this is the McCartney that's marketed more to your mum and the kids and drawing the attention back to the sweater vest that, that you mentioned earlier. It's, 
it's just not cool. That's what I can say, really. I think it may have been a touch too much weed, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. how, how did this come about? That's how this came about. Look, 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 the song's got a polar bear in it, right? So just listen to me, lads, right? There's going to be a polar bear. We're going to fly in. It's like, no, Paul, please, please. Oh. Well, at least flying a polar bear in was seemingly easier than flying in the collaborator on the next song. Uh, we're going to press on to a video whose whose song might be uh, more unfairly represented than any any other addition to the entire McCartney canon, really. Um, living together in perfect harmony, this is Ebony and Ivory. talked much about the second version but but there's also a solo version of the video which which aired like just a couple of times but it's yeah. it, it's it is included on the the deluxe archive set while it doesn't make a whole lot of sense the second version that is it, it is actually you know very sort of applicable in these george floyd black lives matters time I found it to be quite problematic, if I'm honest. I'd never heard of it until this video. I wasn't aware that there was an alternate. And the way it's shot, in terms of composition, as far as I'm concerned, it really portrays that white knight stereotype that's not productive at all. It's Paul at the piano with, like, stark backlighting. And he has this smiling African-American jazz dancer performing next to him. And... That's what I would remove. The idea of him cutting to the the black guys in jail and their hardships, that's great. That's on the nose. It's it's upfront and direct. A bit like when Michael Jackson's original video for They Don't Really Care About Us was originally set in a prison, but then they changed it to like the streets of Brazil. He went back to Brazil, as it were. It's one of those not insensitive he's just a bit dull to kind of these things and i know there was no ill intent or anything but i can definitely see why they went with the vinyl video that they went with because it, it just works a lot more it's got it's got more of that joy and the positivity that a song like ebony and ivory really should have i'm not sure if having the the gritty reality of race relations in one of Paul's most lightweight songs worked at all. It kind of had a jarring aspect to me. Probably not. I mean, but I'm still glad it got released. And I'm glad that we've got the solo McCartney version of of Ebony and Ivory, although it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. 
it's very similar to the to, to, to the video for um, silly love songs that would appear on Broad Street as well. Uh, that's true. Now for the for the prime video, the, the main video that was everywhere. Now again, we're talking about sort of the the early the the early the late eighties, early nineties when I was sort of coming into this. This video was everywhere, and in fact, people would put out these video collections. Uh, there was, I guess it was just sort of a gray area. They could get away with it. They would tape uh, tape hours of MTV and put it out on uh, on VHS, and it's like. I, there were like three different ones which had ebony and ivory on it. <laughs> no, this music video may have done more for the pe- for the wider community's hatred of this song than the actual song itself, I imagine. Perhaps, perhaps. You know, it's not a great video. We 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 it's not a terrible video, but uh as you mentioned the, the deal with this is that uh, they couldn't get Stevie over for the filming. Yes, if he couldn't, he, I don't think Stevie could find the studio. No, that's a horrible joke. I don't mean that, folks. I'm not being that mean. Obviously, Stevie had done the studios with Paul in Montserrat. Stevie had left. And then, obviously, by that time, Paul had realized that Ebony Ivory was going to be this huge hit. So, Keith Co., they've got a little trick up their sleeve. And they're like, well, Paul, we don't need Stevie to be here, actually. And... If you hadn't have told me, Ed, that Stevie wasn't there on set, I, I wouldn't have noticed. And that really is the key to a, a successful special effect, that, that you don't know it's there. Absolutely. It's, it's very well done. I mean, the, the famous story behind that was that they were filming and uh, uh, there was one bit where Paul looked over at Stevie and smiled and then Stevie smiled back and it's like, We've got to reverse that. And it's like, why, Paul? Well, Stevie wouldn't actually see me smiling. <laughs> it's a music video. That, I, I love that logic. That's really funny. I guess, you know, this is an, an evolution of the ideas explored in the, in the coming up video. And we do get, once again, multiple McCartneys. We, we we have the on on the the ebony side you have a bunch of different players but on the ivory side all Paul yeah <laughs> I mean again what could be better than one Paul McCartney I'm, I'm going to be saying that throughout this episode but do you know what I've never seen until this music video Stevie Wonder dancing so that was a, a unique treat for me in the way that I love a walk through the park with Eloise and Bit Bop. I've got such a soft spot for cheesy, unabashed silliness. And this music video is a great exemplification of that, even if it isn't technically a very competent video. Oh, I think it is actually a competent video. It's just not a, it, it's nothing great. It's nothing which makes you want to sit down other than the fact that this is Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder and, and watch this video. I guess there's, it's quite indescribable. I just feel that it looks a little too, I don't know, contrived, the whole thing. I, I would have liked Paul and St- like I would have liked a mixture of the two that we got. Like, rather than Paul solo and the dancer being intercut with the prison stuff, Paul and Stevie, perhaps, intercut with the prison stuff? You, maybe, you, maybe. You know, Someone out there with a, a good a good version of Final Cut could probably sort that out for us. So if you get if you get that sent sent in, uh, send it into public. Cool. 
Well, before before we leave this completely, there is a special version which you, the only difference is uh, at the front during the slate, you you get a couple clips of Paul yawning in in his ebony and ivory outfit. It's not in the slate that shows up on the version in the box set, but it does exist. I've seen it. Wow! Now, stuff that's not on re-releases. Now that is that, that is obscure. I've definitely got to find that. Um, well, now now you see why I wrote the uh, the FAQ on Beatles and solo videos at the time. I probably should have read it before I did this episode, folks. But anyway, uh, moving on, we're going to look at another video from Tug of War, the second single, "Take It Away." This is let's take it away. comes close to coming up as Paul's greatest video, to my opinion. Right. I've got to be real with you, Ed. I've got to, I've got to be real. I can't, I can't lie to a fellow Beatles podcaster. This is the story of the band. They, they practice at home. Then they're discovered by an impresario on the radio, and they're whisked up to stardom, and they have a really successful show. I know that that's not an awful lot of plot, but I've only understood that as the plot after watching it over a dozen times and looking up the plot synopsis specifically for the longest time, I kind of saw this as a series of weird interconnected vignettes and scenes with the band. I never knew what was going on narratively. Well, the fact that the drummer changes in the middle, Ringo's there through the whole thing, but, but the second drummer changes. It's not Steve Gadd at the end. No. Oh my God. <laughs> Cause he was only there for, for like one day of filming. I mean, Ed, was this a more coherent story than I'm making it out to be for you when you watched this? Uh, I got it. I got it at the time, but, uh, you know, it's not an... uh, Yeah, I can see why you might be confused, but there is a story there. And, you know, again, it's not much of a story, but but it's... uh, The filming is tremendous, and it was done on film. That's why it looks so great. To this day, yeah. All the visuals we get, even though I didn't particularly feel that they were interconnected, there are so many that stand out. Like particularly for me, that that shot of John Hurt in the car with that blue light on his face—that could be from a modern film. It's just it's very stark lighting. I love that kind of thing. Yeah, there, there's a making of on the archive edition, and you know they actually had a car and they were actually turning the wheels 
of the car and you know they intentionally didn't want it to look like the car was just sitting there with the screen running behind it what you mean like paul mccartney's car and give my regards to broad street oh yeah that really something like that awful that is some awful rear screen projection but i'm, I'm not convinced that it wasn't meant to be a parody when he was doing it because like you know when you watch like you know north by northwest and you know, I, I would agree. I would agree that, that that was that was meant to be something for people to. It was meant to let you know that you sort of entered into a dream sequence. Oh, I mean, if we're going to get into the how poorly the language of dream sequences are conveyed to the audience in Give My Regards to Broad Street, I will go over my designated time limit because that's just a that's just a rabbit hole. Um, I guess for me in this video as well, the language of filmmaking wasn't entirely possible though because in a film where there's the, you know it would just be a diegetic insertion of music like john hurt would be in the car and you'd, you'd just hear the sounds of him driving then he'd turn on the radio and hear take it away and then you'd realize as an audience oh he's heard the song on the radio <laughs> if they had done it if they'd gone and made it into a full like 20 or 30 minute clip rather than trying to condense it down into just the video, they could have done something like that. And I think they certainly had that in mind. I mean, uh, you know, Paul had written out a script and, and the script sold for what, tens of thousands of dollars a while back? 17,000 pounds or something like that. That's it, it's insane. Yeah. Unfortunately, all of the photos of that script that were shown in the original articles have all been scrubbed from the internet now, probably by the person who owns the right to that image. Now, I need to ask you one question as a young man. I'm not ageist on this show, but I need the opinions of people who are slightly older than me for context. We get Ringo in this music video, and how much marquee value was there in Paul and Ringo actually being on screen together? Probably not a huge amount. Ringo was on. Um, Ringo was very much sort of in the downside of his career at that time. But the, you also have to remember that people were thinking Beatles all those years ago had been out, and that was one of the big selling points and one of the reasons it really became a number one hit. So people were thinking about that fact, and you know, getting the two of them together, particularly the two of them together in a band with George Martin. Mm. That was special. And then the fact that they actually did a live performance uh, for the fan club, that was actually, that actually probably sold promotion-wise more than the video itself. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it's, very, it's very true, actually. Again, there is no YouTube. There's not a market for millions of people to revisit the music video over and over again. So if you missed whatever TV slot or cinema slot it may have had, that was it. But for the, what? Must be like close to five hundred people in in the crowd for the show at the end. Yeah, like like six hundred or so. And that's six hundred copies of Tug of War and Take It Away that are instantly sold. And I don't think they actually paid anyone to do. No, that. they they were all fan club members. You know, that's people it. were. Uh, they actually went, well, the fun club existed at the time, and uh, they actually held, held a lottery through the fun club. The tension of not knowing whether you made it through would be unbearable, if I'm honest. For me, though, the best scene is the opening clip where they're all in the tiny Liverpool-esque, you know, Fotherin Road house and pulled with the Hofner base. There's Eric, Linda, Steve, 
you know, it's an all-star, no pun intended, you know, selection. But when you see George Martin do those opening piano licks, dun, 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 oh, I got, I got goosebumps. Like, I know exactly why people would have loved back in the day. I mean, seeing George Martin, for me, probably gets more nostalgia than seeing Ringo, I guess. Because we see more of George Martin than we do in the Let It Be film here. Yes, no, absolutely. And particularly because Ringo was in his perm phase. He had taken <laughs> over George's perm at that time. I've got nothing bad to say about Ringo's beard, but yeah, that hair is very questionable. There's also a weird shot of Ringo drumming. You know where they're in the radio station doing their recording? Ringo's yeah. got a weird plaster over his eye, and is that makeup, or did he hit himself in the head that day? That, that I don't know. I mean, you know, unfortunately, this was when Ringo probably doesn't even remember any of this. He, he, was, he was very... Uh, happy at that time yeah he was fucking drunk it was really drunk and it's upsetting it's not a nice period to read about question though if you're gonna have Ringo back can you not just summon the courage to ask Steve Gadd not to be in the video to minimize Ringo's effect because seeing Ringo with other drummers it makes him look like modern like old Ringo where he's physically not able to do those parts anymore you know, if Ringo does boys now, it's mostly him tapping every other beat while the drummer next to him does all the real work. And here, it kind of saps the fun a bit. If you know uh, may- maybe a little bit, uh, you know, but I can also understand Paul was thinking towards his next band at that point, don't forget. Mm. And, you know, he was thinking that, okay, I don't want to offend my actual drummer. <laughs> get out of here. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. But um, We also get not only John Hurt in this in this video, we also get a clip of Elliot Gould uh, chatting to Paul at the end of the performance. It's another clear indication of Paul's infamous overspending during this period. I mean, I don't particularly see why we needed John Hurt in this video at all. It's not like he was a massive draw at that well, time. Well, but John now. Hurt was paid scale. Uh, you know, he Linda had actually come up with the idea. Uh, they were at a party or something in... This was when they were thinking of the video, but they hadn't known what they were going to do. You know, Paul had said something about, well, and and then we're going to have a Brian Epstein-esque character come in. And and Linda just sort of piped up, oh, well, maybe John Hurt would want to do it. And, you know, they hadn't hadn't asked him. They didn't know anybody who knew John Hurt. It's just like, here, here's my idea. Yeah, let, yeah, let's get one of the rabbits from Watership Down to play Brian. That's, that's, that's a shrewd move. They should have got the actor who played Leggy Mountbatten, really. But. Yeah, but, but John, John, Hurt, John Hurt's another Doctor Who reference, so. Yeah, he's the war doctor, is he? That is true. See, for someone who, who quite profusely claims to not like Doctor Who, I've got that trivia locked away in there, 100%. Um, speaking of the war doctor... Let's press on to Tug of War, the last of the main singles from Tug of War. For some reason, it wasn't ballroom dancing. I have no idea why. Um, Yeah, this is Tug of War. It's a tug of war What with one thing and another It's a tug of war We expect Trying to outdo each 
each other in the tug of war. In another world, in another world, we could stand on top of the mountain with our flag unfurled. In a time to come. Are you okay with a more simple music video like this, or do you do you prefer a little more elaborate effort? I like I like a little bit fancier music video. The thing about Tug of War, the the Prime video, there are there are two different videos for Tug of War. You know, Paul has always had this weird fascination with inserting not quite random but old timey video clips into his. Uh, whatever he happens to be doing at the time. You know, he did that. If you, if you watch Bruce McMouse, he, he did it there. He would do it again later. It's like, okay, you know, what do these, what do these sort of forties sci-fi rocket ships have to do with tug of war? Other than, you know, you're singing lyrics about uh, uh, a time to come and in another world. Now look, Ed, I don't know about you, but, did you get reminded of Queen's Radio Gaga when you watched this? Maybe a little bit. Uh, maybe a little bit. The, what saves this video is the Paul and Linda stuff. I love that. Oh, no, the highlight, you are so right. Those shots where it cuts to, like, orchestral bits, and they're dicking about and, me- and goofing and messing. That's the best stuff, because, like, oh, they're just these two people who clearly love each other's company and each other, and they're having a blast. That's great to see. And we also legitimately get some of that, uh, the studio footage, which they never quite figured out what to do with. Oh, yeah. If the whole video had just been a kind of Lady Madonna, let it be uh, kind of formula where they just showed George and Paul in the studio, I would have been totally fine with that. But what we do get is Paul just sat in front of a big black piece of felt, essentially, and playing tug of war on guitar Linda is sometimes behind him, sometimes she's not behind him to sing the backing vocals. And then we get this large collection of stock footage, like, like, like you say. Is all of this stock footage that Paul owns because of, you know, song rights he's bought that came with clips and stuff like that? Does- I, I, I don't think so. I, I think uh, actually going from the age, even at the time, it was all probably public domain stuff. Oh, okay. But... I mean, I was expecting to see footage of classic British tugs of war. Uh, I wasn't sure whether it was tugs of war or tug of wars is. Um, but yeah, like you say, we get all of this uh, kind of Fritz Lang metropolis imagery. And it almost feels like he's blown his entire budget on Take It Away. And he's like, so uh, if we just get some public domain stuff and me in front of a black piece of tarpaulin... Well, that counts as a music video. Yeah, Paul, that'll do. Don't worry, that'll totally pass. Yeah, I don't think it's probably budget. I, if I had to guess, it's more or less time. You know, he he had he may have had one half an afternoon blocked out in order to film this thing. You know what? I 
can't even fathom how busy he is. I mean, for me, Paul McCartney's schedule is read out to him by a robot computer in his car. So there, there is a part of me thinking that there's a scene from Broadsheet where it's like, later this afternoon, you will shoot quick video for Tug of War. Well, it's, it's, it's amazing how what seemed futuristic and ridiculous at the time of Broad Street is what we have today. You know, Siri and Alexa, it's like, yeah, those are basically what he had in his car there. Beatles did it first. Once again, Beatles did it first. I mean, they put the they put the towel in the in 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 the kick drum. They did guitar feedback, and they invented Siri. Ironically, used by Apple. So I'm sure there's a nice lawsuit there. Yeah, this one for me. I guess my main issue is that. It's not even related to the, to the video itself. It's just purely to the fact that I don't think this song makes for a good single in the first place. Do you think that there was some sort of discussion where people said to Paul, look, Paul, you, you can't release Here Today as a single and you definitely cannot do a music video using stock footage of John because A, Yoko won't allow it and B, it will be viewed as horrendously exploitative. Well, I mean, uh, well, before we get into that, do, do you think he would have been better served by putting out that other tug of war video, the the one that shows him recording uh, "Keep Undercover" and and it's not on, which and that footage actually shows up in the uh, Pipes of Peace box with the proper audio. I've only had access to the stuff on YouTube, unfortunately. Okay. But yeah, no, it's basically just sort of Paul, you know, you're just, just saying, hey, Bulldog, or uh, the video, the second tug of war video is not out there, but it's been seen. And it, that's why I say there, there, he, there was some recording footage of him with George Martin. And that's where those little excerpts of the two of them together come from. Yes, because there's, there's a really good edit where it's dancing to the beat with a different drum. And it's Paul, like, banging his hands for a song that's clearly not Tug of War now that, now that I think about it. And so, I mean, so he, he tried to edit that footage to Tug of War, and, and that was seen once but never seen again. He tried to edit that footage to Here Today, and that never made it out. And so, you know... Might he have been better served just doing something with that? So, briefly off air, you just mentioned this to me, Ed. There is actually a video that was shopped around at least a little bit for here today. Yeah, we can see 13 seconds of it. it has been... <laughs> So and, and that came out of the archive collection. And again, that's one of those that's been shown to that was shown to the media and I guess shopped around at the time, but but never actually mm. made it out anywhere. OK, do you reckon that was just because of audience reaction or Paul himself? I, I, I don't know. I, I would think it's probably Paul himself. Uh, you know, it was the song over a bunch of Linda's photos of uh John and Paul and, and the Beatles together with a handful of other, you know, short video clips, which were, were appropriate. It would be one of those things that I, as a Beatles fan now, would have been glad that he did release. But especially in the wake of the it's a drug comment, you know, it's, yeah. it, it was it was a safe bet not to release that, I imagine. And then as we were just discussing, they actually put together a second one, which has been seen, which is, again, the the same footage of. Paul and George Martin in the studio with just a couple of Linda's photos interspersed. But 
neither one of those ever actually made it out. Mm. I mean, that goes all the way back to the original Maybe I'm Amazed quote video from all the way back in like, you know, 70, 71. Linda's photos just make for great content, you know, whether it's a, a coffee table book or a music video. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, um, we're actually going to see late, later on today, Linda actually doing some photography in one of these music, music videos. So at least they actually give her a little, a little shout, shout, shout out there, like in the James Paul McCartney TV special. Next up, we have the very first Paul McCartney music video that I ever saw, ever, 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 Ed. And this is well before I knew who Paul McCartney ever was. This is Say, Say, Say. the say 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 video first off you see paul dancing which is something that you don't see very much of <laughs> when he's uh, doing the uh, show with michael with his banjo as well that all of that stuff's great mac and jack's wonder potion yeah um i think the success to this video is that paul didn't write it and he had no involvement in it this is the brainchild of bob giraldi or giraldi one of the most iconic music video directors of the 80s he didn't do a lot in terms of like quantity, but the ones he did do was was stellar. You know, you've got "Hello, Lionel Richie," "Love Is a Battlefield" by Pat Benatar, and a little song you may have heard of Ed called "Beat It" by Michael Jackson. It just makes so much sense that you know McCartney's collaborated with Jackson and is collaborating with Jackson's other collaborators, not just Quincy. He's you know working with some of his music video guys as well. And I first saw this on my sister's DVD copy of Michael Jackson's His Story, hmm. part two collection of music videos. And as far as I'm concerned, it holds up marvelously. And unlike most Paul McCartney songs, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like it, it actually works as a narrative the whole way through. You don't even, you know, even without the music, you'd be able to tell the story of this music video. It's creative it's charming and there's a ton of memorable visuals that have been immortalized in gif form on twitter you know there are so many again i would have loved to have seen this you know it doesn't have to be big in it doesn't have to be an hour-long thing but there could have been a 30-minute film in there with the song as the centerpiece he could have followed up the thriller model with this video totally you know then them evading the law and selling selling their you know snake oil, just you know you could expand on that slice of life aspect. It would have been much better than give my regards to Broad Street, definitely. 
And, and if, you know, one thing when I was watching it again, it actually reminds me a little bit of the Blues Brothers. What in what in the same you know, you know, you know the, the the outlaws the outlaws with the heart of gold. Yeah, another great SNL reference. The one of the only decent SNL films, actually. You know what? Just seeing them putting on a show and their shtick and their sales techniques and them riding off into the sunset—it's just a great little story. You know, the shot of Jackson and Paul shaving in the hotel room is great. You know, when Paul like dabs Michael with that little bit of shaving cream—great improv there. Another video where Linda looks really good. Yes. Um, it's the only one where Linda's American voice actually fits as well. It doesn't sound like she's this American in the middle of this very British story. Uh, Paul doing an American accent was a, another highlight for me in the way that it was a highlight to see Linda act scared going over the waterfall in Broad Street. And he's like, yeah, step right up, step right up. He's like the most generic American voice ever. Well, he, he does that a lot. And then you also get, what, LaToya. Okay, Ed, can we talk about LaToya? Because for those of you who don't know, LaToya Jackson is Michael Jackson's sister. But in the video, he kind of like, kind of flirts with her a bit. <laughs> like she's it's, it's, it's very strange, yes. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that has aged worse than that shot is Michael Jackson at the orphanage. But I don't want to upset Kit at all, so we'll move right on from that one. Well, uh, now, now the one thing about this video is it was done on video, and the transfer, you know, it's it's almost too clean. I, I wish they would have uh, redone the transfer. Mm, I mean, you know, on DVD, it, it doesn't look great on DVD. It's a little bit artifacted. No, it does have a very retro MTV look, and if it had 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 been filmed on film, it probably would have had already a wonderful Christmas time re-release by now. But but even with the video, I think they could probably do better than they did here. Hmm. I mean, ultimately, we're, we're going to be talking about this through all of the uh, Pipes of Peace videos. They were all done on video, and none of the transfers are great. Uh, shot on shittio is the uh, phrase you hear some sometimes banded around the internet. Uh, before we carry on, Ed, where do you stand on Say, Say, Say as a song? Because I see it being unfairly bashed all over the internet and a lot of podcasts, and I don't understand why. I like it. Uh, you know, I don't love it, but I like it. Uh, it is probably the best of the, the Paul and Michael collaboration. Oh, def- de- definitely. Yeah. But I do have a soft spot for the man, though. I will say that. What? You're, you're not going to say that you like uh, The Girl Is Mine? Paul, she said I'll be another lover. Oh, my God. It's, oh, it's like having to sit through one of your relatives' Christmas plays or something. It's just so cringeworthy. It's not as bad as Ringo sexually harassing Barbara back, but, you know. But, no, I, I actually like both versions of it. Uh, you know, the, the original and then the, the flipped vocal version of it. Although I would like to hear both a solo Paul and a solo Michael version of it. If anyone wants to edit that together. A solo Michael one, definitely. I, th- I think I have heard uh, a version on YouTube where it is the solo Paul one, but a solo Michael one would definitely be very interesting. I mean, just their relationship as a whole is is what sells this video. This is before the Sony rights issue. You know, we've we've all seen the shots of, you know, them washing the dishes together. So we, we know they're incredibly close at this point. Probably more in a paul and george sense than a john and paul way you know paul seeing himself as the uh, 
the mentor. But that abundance of joy is so easily conveyed to the audience through the language of film here. And their, and their chemistry is infectious. There is one story that I would really like to see the actual version of come out one day. Because, you know, the legend is nice and it's probably based on fact. But, you know, everything right from the, the I want to make some hits all the way down through, uh, you know, can you give me a raise? It, you know, it's, it's all just a little bit too neat. No, I mean... It all, it all comes down to, to the same thing. We're not going to get the Beatles stories public that we want until all of us are, you know, spirits in the sky, I'm, I'm afraid, because Dan, Danny Harrison's not going to let slip some heroin story about, about his dad out if it does exist, you know. He's incredibly loyal. Olivia is. Yoko is. And I'm sure James and Stella and Beatrice are going to continue the McCartney you know, thin blue line, as it were. Although, although Mary has kiddingly said, oh, yeah, when, when Dad finally passes, everything's coming out. Oh, give us the 10,000 hours of Nagra real footage. You know we'll buy it. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't know why she said that or what, what the deal with the interview was or if she was just in a bad mood that day, but she did say that. Okay, well, we'll, we'll release Carnival of Light if they promise not to release... A, sing, a proper single of what's the new Mary Jane, you know, <laughs> or maybe you know we we won't release Carnival of Light if Sean and Julian comes out and says, "Is it Susie's Parlor or Susie Parker?" Come on. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I, I think we're agreed. The say 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 video is great. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I guess the only negative I could I could possibly stretch from this is that it is a bit of a reaction to the Ebony and Ivory video in how all of McCartney's 80s career is a reaction to what came before. And obviously Stevie has certain physical limitations that prevent him from doing certain things in a music video, which is not his fault. So when you get an incredible physical actor and dancer like Michael Jackson, of course you open up a whole different box of opportunities and possibilities and they exploit that brilliantly in this video. Like Paul on stage with a banjo doing his thing, doing his little baby face routine alongside Jackson doing, doing his dancing. It's, it's peak eighties material, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. But again, it hasn't aged badly. No, it hasn't. And I think it exists more in my mind, weirdly, as a Michael Jackson music music video, just because of my relationship with it. But I can't see this not being played on VH1 and MTV or their modern equivalents for years to come. Yeah, this this was a mainstay of both MTV and VH1. Well, wasn't this music video being pushed a controversy for Paul because it wasn't number one and they were going to stop showing it, so he had to grease the wheel, as it were? Yeah, there's a number of stories about that. It's probably not worth going into. And and I don't really believe all of them necessarily. What, that the, the idea that Paul would care so much about having the number one or that he would use such surreptitious method? That he would use su- such surreptitious means to try and... But anyway, 
but yeah, this was this was during the height of MTV. So I mean, it it had come, it had exploded, and it was still music television at this time. Yes, um, it, it wasn't like uh, and after say 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 the Jersey Shore, and then followed by you know um, was it called uh, the Osbournes? Yeah, you know, definitely before that era. Yeah, exactly. The, the first the first real world, which was their first foray into programming rather than music video hadn't even started at that point i much i would have much, much preferred a series called the mccartney's though that would, that would have been great well have you seen um mary's cooking show by the way since we were talking about mary no, but I've seen footage of Paul trying to make mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes, but but <laughs> Mary did a, a she did a pilot, and supposedly they were going to do a series. I don't know if that's still on or whether that has kind of been coveted out of existence. But uh, the Mary McCartney and Stanley Tucci, she so she she's supposed to invite celebrities over and like oh, wow. go shopping and prepare veggie meals. Uh, in in the pilot, it's Stanley Tucci. Oh, I love Stanley Tucci. I've pretty much loved everything that he's ever been in. So, oh, oh, I hope COVID hasn't spoiled that. It's ruined Let It Be. It's delayed the filming of Jurassic World 3 and now a Mary McCartney cooking show. Yep. Like I say, so the pilot is out there. And uh, when the pilot came out, I guess that was in February, they said that a series is coming later this year, but I haven't heard anything more than that. Moving on, and we now come on to McCartney's third album of the 1980s, Pipes of Peace. And this time he's going to do the opposite of Tug of War and release the, the title track first. Of course, this is Pipes of Peace. Christmas Day soccer slash football match well known in the States? It wasn't. This was really the first time I'd heard of it. And and uh, unknowingly or not, here's another Doctor Who reference. The the <laughs> the uh, Peter Capaldi's last episode is the Doctor centered in part around the 1914 Christi- Christmas armistice. Oh, I'm so annoyed that he wasn't a better Doctor. Uh, he seemed to be... Uh, 
clipped as it as it were especially being a fan of him from a show called the thick of it where he's this incredibly sweary intimidating guy i was i was hoping that was gonna the, the british version of veep i believe is is what that uh uh, I think you'll find Veep's the British, the American version of the thick of it. I think, I think you'll find that. Well, uh, again, <laughs> you know, yes, the, the American, the, the office is a British show, which, which gained fame after, uh, they took over here. Low key, uh, the American office sucks. I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to stand my ground, Ed. I, I, I don't think it sucks, but the British one is better. But going back to Paul McCartney. Yeah. Anyway, so so yeah, the, no, the the Christmas Armistice. I think I'd read about it in or heard about it in in history, but it, it's not like something that's at the top of your top of your mind. Yeah. Here in England, you can ask anyone in a pub, and they'll tell you all about this. The idea for the video is that Paul McCartney will play both an English soldier and a German soldier during the armistice, and they climb out of their trenches, like it could be at the Somme or Verdun, something like that, and they play football slash soccer together. And the sheer scale of the pro- and the production value here is something akin to like Zulu. Like I'm like, wow, there's no CGI here. This, this, there's just a bunch of guys on a real set, real uniforms, real weapons, and it looks fucking fantastic. It looks brilliant. No, absolutely. I I just wish that the transfer looked better. You know, again, on the DVD, it doesn't look great. The elements are all there, but the transfer just fails it. Possibly this video might get away with it, especially say if they put like a sepia filter over it. But when we come to so bad, I am totally in agreement with you with those video transfers. So bad. Looks so bad, you might say. But I guess... What I like about the video for Pipes of Peace is that anyone else would have, you know, if they had the funds to get all these period accurate costumes, weapons, and extras, that they would have 100% turned it into some sort of violent conflict on screen. But with Paul, he has enough clout and, you know, pull in his own right to, in a very silly love songs protest kind of way, avoid all of that and to go against type and you know i know someone out there saying well there some it's called pipes of peace but you know mac is still doing the hippie peace thing but he's doing it in a new and interesting fresh way that we've never seen before that i found to be very engaging and sentimental no no i agree and that's why i was always uh disappointed in part uh when paul would release freedom uh several years later you know the the lyrics, I will fight for my right to live in freedom. I get that, but I don't want to hear that from Paul McCartney. No, if Lennon had done it, he would have gotten away with it in the same way that, you know, Lennon couldn't do I'm the greatest, so he gave it to Ringo, you know? Yeah, I mean, that 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 always, you know, not only because Driving Rain is a terrible album. And <laughs> oh, I've got to have you back for that then, Ed. <laughs> and and not only because because the, the song Freedom is if I had a hammer revisited is it's, it's <laughs> just the lyrics were like uh, you know I I get this Paul you're doing a benefit with firefighters and first responders and and this is a, an America which is stirred up uh, and wants revenge but don't do that please 
just play freedom and then just take all the footage of like Abu Grade and then superimpose it against freedom. It's like, ah, uh, it's, it's a bit tone deaf, actually, Paul, especially for you, shall we say. You are right. This is a much better uh, indictment of war that is more fitting with his tone. And I'm sorry, Ed, I'm going to use the word branding, but this is in the McCartney brand perfectly. It's slightly silly in that whimsical sort of way, but it's not full-on frog song. Perhaps as an American viewer, you might not be able to appreciate certain elements, but the idea that Paul would, in 1983, 84, be willing to play a German soldier on camera is an incredibly brave move. The anti-German sentiment in this country, as I'm sure it was in the States, was still incredibly hostile. And for Paul to extend this olive branch to Germany, again, around the time of things like the Russian occupation of East Germany and stuff like that, I feel it's incredibly insightful, subtle, and poignant. No, absolutely. And and, and just to, to go off topic, not that topicality has been our uh, high point here, you, you, you remind me of... Uh, the re- uh, reaction of Millie Sutcliffe to, to Astrid, you know, it's like she never accepted her strictly because she was German. The Beatles' roots in Germany are so deep. You know, it's in, it's in the same way that some Christians can't accept that Christ was Jewish, you know? Yep, I get you. Um, yeah, this is a video that I've always had a, a soft spot for. It's high production value, done well. Uh, it's got a simple objective that it fulfills. And just as another little aside, I'm so glad they left the opening orchestral movements from the album in this mix. I really would have thought they would have just started with, boom, my light a candle. Yeah. But it, it's almost there in lieu of actual combat because the music itself is incredibly violent for a Paul McCartney record for an opening track. You know, the... And, you know, obviously it's not literal bombs falling, but it's George Martin affecting a kind of not pleasant moment. You know, obviously it comes at the end of Tug of War. If you're doing it chronologically, it works brilliantly in that sense. And, you know, I I, I guess I'm just glad that Paul didn't go for the easy route here, especially like, you know, there's no shot of someone playing literal pipes of peace. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. And and as to why they left that piece at the beginning, remember at the time, MTV and everyone else would fade into videos. So you often lost the first uh, five to 10 seconds of any given video. The stories of the analog world just never cease to amaze me, Ed. It never ceases. Right. Let's move on to our final track of the day that we're going to give specific attention to. Uh, this is actually one of my favorite, I, I know we're not supposed to, in the, you know, in the podcasting world, we're not supposed to use the phrase guilty pleasure, but this is a guilty pleasure from Macca's songbook for me. It feels so good, so it can only be so bad.
I like the song. Uh, the, the video's okay. Mm, it's not okay. It's pretty poo. Again, I've mentioned earlier production budget and stuff like that. Bit more balanced this time around, you know. Pops of Peace and Say 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 are both big budget. They're done well. They look good. Not shot on film, unfortunately, as we mentioned before. But at least this time, it's not just Paul against a black screen. You've got Paul, Linda, Ringo, and Eric against a white screen. So, you know, we've, we've at least quadrupled the budget this time around. I like Ringo looking up uh, at the camera, the overhead camera. He's like one of those little, uh, he's like my cat when uh, he sort of looks up and is following something around. No, Ringo's definitely got that, you know I'm here to be paid. I know I'm here to be paid. Let's just get this over with. But in that incredibly charming way that he would be able to deliver such a sentiment. There are also uh, these incredibly gauche display boards behind them where it's like these huge pictures of Paul, Linda, Ringo, and Eric. Eric, yep. It's like they're this meant to be this fully formed band or something, but they, they simply aren't. It's a little odd that they give Eric Stewart such a, a front-center stage slot in this video. Well, and, and then you have Linda sort of running back and forth between being the photographer and being in the band. Yeah, it is, it is nice that we get to see Linda doing her thing here, but it's almost a microcosm of her relationship with Paul professionally. Like, she's got to do this one thing and be this other person and also be his ward and keeper as well. Again, we were talking about James Paul McCartney earlier. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of the photographic acoustic session from that. Oh, so good. It's one of my favorite bits. Again, another... another Folks, we're not we're not meant to sound uh, object. I'm, I'm not trying to objectify Linda, Linda here, but that's another scene where Linda looks absolutely gorgeous. Looks beautiful taking those photos with Paul, and we also get some pretty nice behind the scenes shots of the making of the video that you're watching, which I found to be quite meta uh, and, and interesting. But you know, in your heart of hearts, that that was achieved in the final edit rather than being specifically planned out that way. It's not like again the ballroom dancing sequence in Guillermo Gart's Broad Street it opens with you know the dancers practicing their dances Paul's at the piano with the kids showing them their parts and stuff that's my favorite part of that whole sequence and again if it had just been the behind the scenes stuff in the way that you know the tug of war video or the supposed here today video could have been I would have been totally happy with that as well now the main question Ed is is it that obvious that this was directed by Paul and Linda themselves to you? I think so. <laughs> How so? Uh, just, again, the, the prominence of those pictures, the way that things are intercut between Linda running back and forth with the camera crew. It's, it's obvious there was not a professional director mm. handling this. Unfortunately, there were so many poor directorial choices in this video. You know those close-ups you get, just constant close-ups of their faces, and they all don't look like they want to be there. It's like, <laughs> you, know, you know that shot where the camera really got in Di- DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's face at the Oscars this, this, this year, and they're just like, get out of my face! It feels like that. The next question I've got for you, Ed, is, did they need to drag Ringo back for this, or is it like a kind of hint of that earlier that this is Paul throwing him a financial and a career bone. 
Yeah, I agree with you. That's probably what it is. Uh, you know, Ringo was around and, you know, with George Martin working with Paul in the studio, that almost just kind of seems a little bit too logical. I also don't know why George Martin didn't show up in this clip. Yeah, I'm not sure what he would have played, but you could have had him behind the camera or just nodding in one shot, you know? just going. Yeah, yeah. Again, the Broad Street kind of thing that he could have just been handling the board while they were playing. Yeah, that, it's such a natural place for him to be because even in Broad Street, when, when he goes, right, just one more take, Paul, it doesn't feel like he's acting. It's like he's just literally saying something he's said a thousand times over, which is great for someone who's not an actual actor. Um, I mean... I hate to bring up Broad Street again because it is just on my mind so much lately. Uh, again, everyone, check it out on YouTube. There was a full version on YouTube now uh, that's not broken up into segments. And it's near enough HD, especially compared to the last other ones. But um, I prefer both the Broad Street recording of So Bad and I prefer the music video clip from the film as well. What about you? Uh, yes, you're probably right. And, you know, uh, we've established that you're not the biggest Broad Street fan. I actually like probably 80% of Broad Street. I think the Eleanor's dream sequence goes on way too long. Well, no, that's the best bit, Ed. You're so, no, no, you've got it you're completely wrong. That's the, that's the 20% that I like. <laughs> Okay, but 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 the rest of it, you know, the, the as a series of music videos with a very slight story, it's not terrible. And, and there's Tracy Ullman. Well, can you just cry, Tracy? You know, um, I mean, I'm not going to have you involved in the investigation into Harry or anything in, interesting. But just look like Cindy Lauper for half an hour, cheers. Yeah, the the, the big Bob thing is kind of. Uh, I don't know why bootlegs were on Paul's mind at that time. Yeah, the whole. Do you ever get the feeling with Broad Street that there's a million and one in jokes that you're just never going to get unless you're a member of the Apple Core, as it were. Yes, absolutely. You know, and I actually would really kind of like to see the outtakes. They may be boring as heck, but there might be some interesting things in there. Anyway, I believe that brings us to the end. Now, Ed. That yep. Is- I'll yep, because we're, we're not we're not going to go into more Broad Street because you just did a whole show and we still talked about Broad Street far too much in this one. <laughs> and I feel like no matter what my next three episodes are, un- undetermined as they are, I'm probably still going to bring out Broad Street. You know what? Just um, just 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 one last question on Broad Street: Are you able to buy it legit in the US as a US citizen? Can you just buy that on DVD and watch it? Because oh, oh, over here, I've got nothing. Uh, it, uh, I have, I bought a copy. I don't know whether it's still in print. I haven't tried to go buy another copy. Uh, I want a special edition. I want the Criterion Blu-ray release. Well, I won't, I won't go that far, but you know, I would like Paul McCartney to sit down and do a commentary track for Broad Street. Dude, I'm convinced Tarantino likes Broad Street. That glowing blue chest, that basket that he opens, that is Marcellus Wallace's gold briefcase. It has to be. And, and to answer your question, the DVD is out of print oh my in the God. States as well. Is, is the copy you've got the one with the weird black cover and just a floating Paul head on the front? Yes. Yeah, that, what an awful DVD. It looks like a legit bootleg, doesn't it? It doesn't look like anything that would be sold by anyone professionally. 
I ha- I also have a VHS copy which has has the original with the spy in the blue case and and the movie poster on it. So oh wow, I think I think I asked this question to Kito Tool on the last episode. But what what's a VHS? Uh, VHS was the video video cassette format prior to well, I mean uh, that was how we recorded TV and films came on VHS tape before there was a DVD and before there was a, a laser disc. I was going to say, what's a DVD at this point as well? You know what I'm saying? And there we are, folks. That brings us to the end of our little selection of music videos. That was me and Ed Chen discussing essentially the first half of McCartney's foray into the MTV early 80s generation. Ed, would you say it's been mostly high quality we've been discussing today? No, absolutely. I, I think we have, what we've gone through is the highlight of McCartney's video career, although he's had peaks afterwards. The, these years, you know, the uh, coming up video, the take it away video, the Pipes of Peace video, those three alone, and Say Say Say, those four alone are some of the classics of the genre. MPL, if you're listening, which I know you're not, please release the Wings Over Europe vinyl on Spotify, please. Well, well my, my vote is actually for, you know, the McCartney Years video collection. That was all right, but it, but I would hope that MPL would put out an official 10-disc Blu-ray set, retransfer everything is starting with 1970 and bring it up to the present day. And you're going to include one hand clapping, give my regards to Broad Street on that, just everything he's ever filmed on one big collection. Maybe with like, you know, an, an, an introduction from David Lynch or something really weird, you know? Well, Paul would like that. I mean, you know, he's still trying to convince us that uh, Steven Spielberg likes Magical Mystery Tour. And Marty Scorsese. Like, Martin Scorsese doesn't like Marvel and the MCU, but he likes Magical Mystery Tour. Yeah, Paul, would we totally believe that one. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, Scorsese didn't say anything either way when he did the Harrison doc, and that statement had been out there. Ed, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I want to have no, no, no problem. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we got it done. And like I say, we're we're going to have you on on our side soon. Definitely. Uh, we've got a few ideas percolating, folks, so it'll probably be sooner rather than later, in all honesty. Ed, before we go, do you have any projects or episodes for your own stuff coming up that you might like to plug here while you can? Well, let's see. Um, we're getting ready to do uh, probably our, our big Flaming Pie review as soon as that comes out. That, that's our next big project. What's out right now, uh, we have a, a two-part on one hand clapping, and uh, you have mentioned that, that, that you've listened to that and, and you were a big fan. Beyond that, not sure what's coming up. Uh, all with the, um, immediately after that, we've got one on the, uh, the fan stereo remixing craze. And maybe they can find a way to reissue that. This was another one of our Paul McCartney videography ep- episodes. We've been going through all of the early 80s. I've been your host, Sam Wells, and my wonderful guest today, the powerful Ed Chen, has most kindly put up with my bullshit for two months whilst we've tried to organize this episode. And I'm going to be so well behaved on his show, you're not going to recognize me from my appearances on Two Legs. 
thank everyone and thank you Ed. and and we'll and we'll actually manage to get it in under an hour or a show although we might have to do three or four shows if you can get me to talk about a topic for less than an hour i'll give you five dollars because i've got five dollars in, in my room that i found on the floor the other day <laughs> all right thank you so much ed again thank you so much everyone please go and check out ed's ed podcast links down below when they was fab.podbean.com Keep your ears posted to the floor, folks. New Paul of content will be out real soon. We'll be seeing you then. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.